author's prefaces of the quintessence of ibsenism this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by expatriate in bangor maine the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw author's prefaces preface of nineteen thirteen in the pages which follow i have made no attempt to tamper with the work of the bygone man of thirty-five who wrote them i have never admitted the right of an elderly author to alter the work of a young author even when the young author happens to be his former self in the case of a work which is a mere exhibition of skill in conventional art there may be some excuse for the delusion that the longer the artist works on it the nearer he will bring it to perfection yet even the victims of this delusion must see that there is an age limit to the process and that though a man of forty-five may improve the workmanship of a man of thirty-five it does not follow that a man of fifty-five can do the same when we come to creative art to the living word of a man delivering a message to his own time it is clear that any attempt to alter this later on is simply fraud and forgery as i read the old quintessence of ibsenism i may find things that i see now at a different angle or correlate with so many things then unnoted by me that they take on a different aspect but though this may be a reason for writing another book it is not a reason for altering an existing one what i have written i have written said pilate thinking rightly as it turned out that his blunder might prove truer than its revision by the elders and what he said after a lapse of twenty-one seconds i may very well say after a lapse of twenty-one years however i should not hesitate to criticise my earlier work if i thought it likely to do any mischief that criticism can avert but on reading it through i have no doubt that it is as much needed in its old form as ever it was now that ibsen is no longer frantically abused and is safe in the pantheon his message is in worse danger of being forgotten or ignored than when he was in the pillory nobody now dreams of calling me a muck ferreting dog because i think ibsen a great teacher i will not go so far as to say i wish they did but i do say that the most effective way of shutting our minds against a great man's ideas is to take them for granted and admit he was great and have done with him it really matters very little whether ibsen was a great man or not what does matter is his message and the need of it that people are still interested in the message is proved by the history of this book it has long been out of print in england but it has never been out of demand in spite of the smuggling of unauthorized american editions which i have winked at because the absence of an english reprint was my own fault if it be a fault not to be able to do more than a dozen things at a time the average price of copies of the original edition stood at twenty-four shillings some years ago and is no doubt higher now but it was not possible to reprint it without editions when it was issued in eighteen ninety one ibsen was still alive and had not yet produced the master builder or little eolf or john gabriel borkman or when we dead awaken without an account of these four final masterpieces a book entitled the quintessence of ibsenism would have been a fraud on its purchasers 
and it was the difficulty of finding time to write the additional chapters on these plays and review ibsen's position from the point of view reached when his work ended with his death and his canonization as an admitted grand master of european literature that has prevented me for twenty years from complying with the demand for a second edition also perhaps some relics of my old or rather my young conscience which revolted against hasty work now that my own stream is nearer the sea i am more inclined to encourage myself in haste and recklessness by reminding myself that le mieux est l'ennemie du bien and that i had better cobble up a new edition as best i can than not supply it at all i have taken all possible precautions to keep the reader's mind free from verbal confusion in following ibsen's attack on ideals and idealism a confusion that might have been avoided could his plays without losing the naturalness of their dialogue have been translated into the language of the english bible it is not too much to say that the works of ibsen furnish one of the best modern keys to the prophecies of scripture read the prophets major and minor from isaiah to malachi without such a key and you will be puzzled and bored by the almost continuous protest against and denunciation of idolatry and prostitution simpletons read all this passionate invective with sleepy unconcern concluding thoughtlessly that idolatry means praying to stocks and stones instead of to brass lectern eagles and the new reredos presented by the local distiller in search of a title and as to prostitution they think of it as the social evil and regret that the translators of the bible used a much blunter word but nobody who has ever heard real live men talking about graven images and traitors in sex can for a moment suppose them to be the things the prophets denounce so earnestly for idols and idolatry read ideals and idealism for the prostitution of piccadilly circus read not only the prostitution of the journalist the political lawyer the parson selling his soul to the squire the ambitious politician selling his soul for office but the much more intimate and widespread idolatries and prostitutions of the private snob the domestic tyrant and voluptuary and the industrial adventurer at once the prophetic warnings and curses take on meaning and proportion and lose that air of exaggerated righteousness and tiresome conventional rant which repels readers who do not possess ibsen's clue i have sometimes thought of reversing the operation and substituting in this book the words idol and idolatry for ideal and idealism but it would be impossible without spoiling the actuality of ibsen's criticism of society if you call a man a rascally idealist he is not only shocked and indignant but puzzled in which condition you can rely on his attention if you call him a rascally idolater he concludes calmly that you do not know that he is a member of the church of england i have therefore left the old wording save for certain adaptations made necessary by the lapse of time and the hand of death the book stands as it did with a few elucidations which i might have made in eighteen ninety one had i given the text a couple of extra revisions also of course a section dealing with the last four plays the two concluding chapters are new there is no fundamental change above all no dilution whether this edition will change people's minds to the extent to which the first did 
to my own great astonishment i do not know in the eighteen nineties one jested about the revolt of the daughters and of the wives who slammed the front door like nora at present the revolt has become so general that even the feeblest and oldest after-dinner jesters dare no longer keep votes for women on their list of stale pleasantries about mothers-in-law rational dress and mixed bathing men are waking up to the perception that in killing women's souls they have killed their own mr granville barker's worthy father of six unmarriageable daughters in the madras house ruefully exclaiming it seems to me i've been made a convenience of all my life has taken away the excited attention that nora once commanded when she said i have been living all these years with a strange man when she meets helmer's no man sacrifices his honour for a woman with her thousands of women have done that for men there is no longer the old impressed assent men fiercely protest that it is not true that on the contrary for every woman who has sacrificed her honour for a man's sake ten men have sacrificed their honour for a woman's in the plays of gorky and chekhov against which all the imbecilities and outrages of the old anti-ibsen campaign are being revived for the press never learns anything by experience the men appear as more tragically sacrificed by evil social conditions and their romantic and idealistic disguises than the women now it may be that into this new atmosphere my book will come with quite an old-fashioned air as i write these lines the terrible play with which strindberg wreaked the revenge of the male for a doll's house has just been performed for the first time in london under the title of creditors in that as in Bruce le Hanneton, it is the man who is the victim of domesticity and the woman who is the tyrant and sole destroyer thus a doll's house did not dispose of the question it only brought on the stage the endless recriminations of idealistic marriage and how has strindberg ibsen's twin giant been received with an even idler stupidity than ibsen himself because ibsen appealed to the rising energy of the revolt of women against idealism but strindberg attacks women ruthlessly trying to rouse men from the sloth and sensuality of their idealized addiction to them and as the men unlike the women do not want to be roused whilst the women do not like to be attacked there is no conscious strindberg movement to relieve the indifference the dull belittlement the spiteful hostility against which the devotees of ibsen fought so slashingly in the nineties but the unconscious movement is violent enough as i write it is only two days since an eminent bacteriologist filled three columns of the times with a wild strindbergian letter in which he declared that women must be politically and professionally secluded and indeed excluded because their presence and influence inflict on men an obsession so disabling and dangerous that men and women can work together or legislate together only on the same conditions as horses and mares that is by the surgical destruction of the male sex the times and the pall mall gazette gravely accept this outburst as scientific and heartily endorse it though only a few weeks have elapsed since the times dismissed strindberg's play and strindberg himself with curt superciliousness as uninteresting and negligible not many years ago a performance of a play by myself the action of which was placed in an imaginary ibsen club 
in which the comedy of the bewilderment of conventional people when brought suddenly into contact with the ibsenist movement both understood and misunderstood formed the atmosphere of the piece was criticised in terms which showed that our critics are just as hopelessly in the rear of ibsen as they were in eighteen ninety one the only difference was that whereas in eighteen ninety one they would have insulted ibsen they now accept him as a classic but understanding of the change of mind produced by ibsen or notion that they live in a world which is seething with the reaction of ibsen's ideas against the ideas of sardou and tom taylor they have none they stare with equal unintelligence at the sieges and stormings of separate homesteads by ibsen or strindberg and at the attack all along the front of refined society into which these sieges and stormings have now developed whether the attack is exquisite touching delicate as in chekhov's cherry orchard galsworthy's silver box and granville barker's anne leet or ruthless with every trick of intellectual ruffianism and ribaldry and every engine of dramatic controversy there is the same pettish disappointment at the absence of the old conventions the same gaping unconsciousness of the meaning and purpose of the warfare in which each play is a battle as in the days when this book was new our political journalists are even blinder than our artistic ones in this matter the credit of our domestic ideals having been shaken to their foundations as through a couple of earthquake shocks by ibsen and strindberg the arch individualists of the nineteenth century whilst the socialists have been idealizing sentimentalizing denouncing capitalism for sacrificing love and home and domestic happiness and children and duty to money greed and ambition yet it remains a commonplace of political journalism to assume that socialism is the deadliest enemy of the domestic ideals and unsocialism their only hope and refuge in the same breath the world-grasping commercial synthesis we call capitalism built up by generations of scotch rationalists and english utilitarians atheists agnostics and natural selectionists with malthus as the one churchman among all its prophets is proclaimed the bulwark of the christian churches we used to be told that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light when our people see the heavens blazing with suns they simply keep their eyes shut and walk on in darkness until they have led us into the pit no matter i am not a domestic idealist and it pleases me to think that the life-force may have providential aims in thus keeping my opponents off the trail but for all that i must not darken counsel i therefore without further apology launch my old torpedo with the old charge in it leaving to the new chapters at the end what i have to say about the change in the theatre since ibsen set his potent leaven to work there avaux saint laurence nineteen twelve to nineteen thirteen preface to the first edition eighteen ninety one in the spring of eighteen ninety the fabian society finding itself at a loss for a course of lectures to occupy its summer meetings was compelled to make shift with a series of papers put forward under the general heading of socialism in contemporary literature the fabian essayists strongly pressed to do something or other for the most part shook their heads but in the end sidney olivier consented to take zola i consented to take ibsen 
hubert blond undertook to read all the socialist novels of the day an enterprise the desperate failure of which resulted in the most amusing paper of the series william morris asked to read a paper on himself flatly declined but gave us one on gothic architecture stepniak also came to the rescue with a lecture on modern russian fiction and so the society tided over the summer without having to close its doors but also without having added anything whatever to the general stock of information on socialism in contemporary literature after this i cannot claim that my paper on ibsen which was duly read at the st james's restaurant on the eighteenth july eighteen ninety under the presidency of mrs annie besant and which was the first form of this little book is an original work in the sense of being the result of a spontaneous internal impulse on my part having purposely couched it in the most provocative terms of which traces may be found by the curious in its present state i did not attach much importance to the somewhat lively debate that arose upon it and i had laid it aside as a piece d'occasion which had served its turn when the production of rosmersholm at the vaudeville theatre by florence farr the inauguration of the independent theatre by mr j t grine with a performance of ghosts and the sensation created by the experiment of elizabeth robbins and marion lee with hedda gabler started a frantic newspaper controversy in which i could see no sign of any of the disputants having ever been forced by circumstances as i had to make up his mind definitely as to what ibsen's plays meant and to defend his view face to face with some of the keenest debaters in london i allowed due weight to the fact that ibsen himself has not enjoyed this fabian advantage but i have also shown that the existence of a discoverable and perfectly definite thesis in a poet's work by no means depends on the completeness of his own intellectual consciousness of it at any rate the controversialists whether in the abusive stage or the apologetic stage or the hero-worshipping stage by no means made clear what they were abusing or apologizing for or going into ecstasies about and i came to the conclusion that my explanation might as well be placed in the field until a better could be found with this account of the origin of the book and a reminder that it is not a critical essay on the poetic beauties of ibsen but simply an exposition of ibsenism i offer it to my readers to make what they can of london june eighteen ninety one end of author's prefaces recording by expatriate in bangor maine